It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. And welcome. We have a special guest. Her name is Kathy Keller. Everybody knows Kathy Keller and Dr. Timothy Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian Church. They have a great book out. It's called The Songs of Jesus. And it's a devotional book and one that a lot of people can glean from all the the wisdom of the Psalms, a year of daily devotions in the Psalms. And uh, welcome, Kathy Keller. Tell us a little bit about this book. Well, um, interestingly enough, we have not been happy with most of the devotionals that we see out there. Um, They run the gamut from one that um, a family member was telling me how thrilled he was to use it, and I asked to see it, and he said, oh, it just got him through so much, and his latest cancer diagnosis, and he hands them out to everyone. It turned out to be by that the cult. Um, oh, which cult was it? Anyway, it was by a cult. I guess I shouldn't identify it anyway, because then we might be in trouble. But, um, you know, and it just had, like, warm, fuzzy thoughts about, you know, you're great, and you can do anything, and um, nothing scriptural about it. It was just positive thinking. And anyway, when uh, Tim's publisher said, you know, there's a real hole in the devotional world that's looking for something that's not too intellectual, that's still accessible, but has good theology, we really jumped at the idea, or, or Tim did, because originally the design was he was going to write this book by himself, because he's read through the Psalms every month, all 150 of them, as a spiritual discipline for about 20 years. And he has notebook after notebook after notebook just filled with insights and and thoughts and prayers. And we thought, this will be a piece of cake. You know, we'll just drop all that stuff down. Well, it didn't turn out that way because the way a devotional works, you know, you have a piece of scripture, you have a little thought that's limited in the amount of space you have, in this case, 160 words, and then a prayer. And when Tim tried to condense the material that he had after 20 years on each psalm, it came out so dense and, and, you know, it wasn't one thought, it was a hundred thoughts trying to be crammed into 160 words, and it just was leaden is what it was. So I'm the one that said, well, I'm I'm the editor around here, and that's how I've earned my money over the years as the editor. Um, no, won't fly. You have to come up with something else. So he did, and turned it in a month late to the publisher, who that point, Brian Tartar, publisher, said, nope, not what I want at all. So at that point, we were a month behind schedule and had no manuscript at all, and that's whenever Tim said, you better jump in. So we worked on it together through what was supposed to be Tim's sabbatical, what was supposed to be our vacation, and I think we were really helped personally just by having to be immersed 15, 18 days an hour in reading the Psalms and trying to pick them apart and what is God saying here because it was like having a devotional life yourself in the Psalms all day long, every day in a sustained way for weeks and weeks. You know, the occasion was we were trying to get the publisher manuscript, um, but the effect was it was um, very spiritually edifying for both of us. We had had a tough year uh, the last year. I'd had a lot of health issues and um, there's a little PTSD going on, you know, places that we were where things had gone really wrong last year. And just being in the Psalms uh, day after day, when it was done and we sent it in, we kind of felt empty, like, why don't we spend 15 hours a day in God's Word every day? I mean, 
it's a, it was a very precious time to be forced in that kind of a pressure cooker to focus on God's Word for that sustained amount of time. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I had to withhold myself from laughing there because when you said they wanted a non-intellectual book or an unintellectual book, that's not an easy thing to do with you and Dr. Keller, you know, writing an in- unintellectual book. It's not nothing matter with being intellectual, but it has to be excessively intellectual. And if you have a hundred great thoughts with no explanation behind any of them. There's this, there's this, there's this. I told Tim, and I think I wrote this in the afterword in the book or where the acknowledgments. So there's like haiku. Now haiku is a form of Japanese poetry um, where you just have to really sit and meditate on it. Like it, it, It's two lines long. It's um, a tree blossoms, a petal falls. And okay, what is that about? All right, so there's growth, and then there's death, and there's the cycle of, you know, a haiku is something that's just really dense with meaning, and it's very short a number of words. It has no explanation behind it, and that was what the first manuscript was like. It just had so, it was very rich, but it was also very dense, and it didn't come off devotionally. It was more like a commentary that was condensed, kind of like the Reader's Digest of commentaries. So it was a good thing to have to be start to start over twice. Yeah, and who knows? You know, maybe you could use that extra material as part of a seminary book. That could be. Actually, someone approached Tim yesterday and said, you know, this was uh, this book of Psalms is everything I hoped. I really, it's really helping me. It's helping me get a handle on it. It's really, why don't you do the whole Bible? And um, he thought, hey, that's a big project, you know, but you know, we're ta- we're turning it around as, you know, a project for the future. I'd like to address something which I found to be kind of like a full circle as far as the Psalms. It was Psalm 34, I believe, that you had inscripted in your wedding ring. Is that correct? Um, when we were getting married, we just, it's not the whole words written out. It's just the... Um, the the uh, identification of where it is, and let me read it to you. We thought this will sound really good, you know, in our wedding ceremony. It's uh, two people who we met at seminary and who are going off to do ministry together. And you know, um, this will this sounds great. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. That sounds perfect. I paid no attention whatsoever to context until many years later, when we had gone through quite a number of challenging events with my health and Tim's thyroid cancer and my health and my health, and it got boring with my health. But this is the context of a um, someone who's going through a lot of suffering, saying that they're going to extol the Lord at all times, and the afflicted will hear and rejoice. And then Psalm 4 says, I sought the Lord, He answered me, He delivered me from my fears. Um, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The psalm is about glorifying God in the midst of your troubles, and I had totally not paid the slightest bit of attention to the context when I just pulled that verse out and said, oh, this will look nice, this will sound good, you know, this is, uh, it describes two people going into ministry, but two people going into ministry glorifying God together in the midst of great difficulties. And God was, I think, laughing a little bit, saying, uh, someday you'll understand the other verses that are before and after the one that you chose. And we have definitely come to understand them, how God meets you in affliction, changes you through affliction. One of the Psalms says, God afflicts us in faithfulness. 
before I was afflicted, I went astray. There's quite a bit in there that attributes affliction as one of the ways. In fact, I personally think it's the primary way that God gets our attention and changes us. When things are going along just extremely smoothly, you tend to kind of think they always will. I mean, there's another song that says, when I said I would never be shaken, then God shakes his world and he feels very fragile and vulnerable. But up to the moment when God shook his world, he felt... um, Invincible, so yes, I my life is nicely, just the way I like it, and it's always going to be that way. And then God shows us our fragility, the fragility of our happiness when it's built on anything besides Him. I mean, thank God we have the Psalms because I know that's something that you and Dr. Keller have mentioned that we don't always have the words, and the Psalmists give us the words when we're under the whole gamut of human emotions, when we're under affliction or duress. And and what about from your own experiences? Did you find that when you were under affliction, you didn't always have the words? Oh yes, definitely. Um, and I did. I was reading the Psalms all last year for the first time. I was reading them in a sustained way. Tim had been recommending it for years, but. I always got away from it. Whenever I was really desperately sick and housebound after a month in the hospital, I won't bore you with the details, but at any rate, I was housebound for many, many months, and the Psalms were the things that I just kept reading over and over again, and they did give me a language for crying out to God in in despair and in anger and in confusion, and I think... Um, I think you're right that we don't have a vocabulary for that in our our modern Christianity. When we were in seminary, Tom Howard wrote an article that was has never left my mind. He it was entitled "Contra Spontaneity," and he was saying spontaneous praying is all very well in its place. We should pour our hearts out to God, but our hearts are so shallow. And when we do, it's like, "Oh Lord, just really bless us," and "Lord, please just really bless." It's it's just a very shallow layer of our our mind that we are able to pray, that we need to pray the great prayers of the saints. There's a book called Valley of Vision that collects some of the great Puritan prayers. And um, the Psalms, of course, the prayers of people, the inspired prayers. And there was a professor uh, at seminary that we had that everyone used to come early to his classes because he would always open with prayer. And man, that man could pray. And we, I mean, we came as much to class to hear him pray as we did to hear the lectures because when you hear someone who has a sustained, intimate relationship with God that has been going on for years, you realize how frivolous and shallow and trivial your own prayers are. And so, being immersed in the Psalms and in other great historic prayers, um, the Anglican prayer book of 1928, um, there are other places that you can find collected prayers of the old saints who knew how to pray. And I think we would be much better informed in our prayer life if we spent some time with those authors. Well, you know, you said you don't want to bore me with all the details about sickness, but truth be told, suffering is such a big part of the Psalms, and I almost wonder if going through all that helped you get closer to God. I would definitely say that. In fact, um, I need to give a talk in June, and I'm <laughs> I'm starting it with the verse, uh, Psalm 32, verse 4, don't be like, or verse 9, don't be like the horse 
or the mule that uh, without the bit and the bridle will not stay close to you because that could be my life verse that God has had to yank me back to him. And I used to think of it kind of as a threat, you know, toe the line, stick close to me or trouble will descend in your life and you'll be punished. But it's really more of a comforting promise. God is not going to let us wander away. And if it takes a bit or a bridle to yank me back to his side, then God bless God, because I would rather be yanked back than wander off and and leave his side and be somewhere else and and far away from him. So in Job 33, who talks about how God, if he's merciful to a person two or even three times, he will afflict him with um, a horrible illness or some kind of thing until, it's, it's so messianic, I'm amazed that more people don't preach on it, until a ransom is found for him and he is able to say, I did not get what I deserved, I have been healed and I did wrong, I went astray, but I have changed. And it's it's a very messianic little pericope stuck right in there in the middle of of Job by one of his friends who wasn't condemned, Elihu is not numbered amongst the, quote, friends of Job. He was sort of a bystander. But at any rate, yes, of course, I I think that many of us waste our sorrows. Um, there's a book by that name, Don't Waste Your Sorrows, by Paul Billenkamp, and I've never read it because I think I'm sufficiently edified just by the title. I don't know, need to know what's in the book. The title says it all. If you're going through a sorrowful time, a time of tragedy or affliction or suffering or anything, you can waste it by being angry or by being just putting your head down and being stoic and you know clenching your teeth until it's over, growling more or less, just shutting down and waiting until it passes and then saying, glad that's over. But that's a total waste of your sorrows. You're supposed to let those things pull you back to God and let you examine your life and an opportunity when you you may be off work or in bed or confined to a hospital or a nursing home or something like that. And you have an opportunity and a luxury of spending time with God that you don't get under other circumstances. So I would say to anyone who is in that circumstance of suffering or tragedy, don't waste it by just waiting for it to be over or being angry about it or uh, getting depressed. Let it drive you to God and let you come out on the other side of that suffering with um, a renewed relationship to God. And I think about how emotionally mature and perfect that God wants us to be in Christ, and the fact that he would take us through this whole gamut of emotions that you find in the Psalms. I mean, do you feel that way? You started out at Gordon-Conwell, that's where you met Tim, and I know it starts with, let's just say, theology, and then it interweaves into your real life, and how do you feel about that, though? Is, uh, Is that the purpose of the Psalms, to help us become emotionally mature in Christ? Well, God saves us, and he saves us for something. He doesn't just save us for the sake of saving us. That would be amazing enough, but he saves us so he can adopt us into his family and live inside of us with his spirit and actually turn us into um, members of his family in a more organic way. If, If we now, as a family, adopt a child... We can love that child dearly as much as if we'd given birth, but they will never share our DNA. And yet Peter says that the divine um, 
spirit lives within us so that God has somehow implanted his own divine DNA in us, and we're meant to come to resemble, to take on the family resemblance uh, after we have been made children of God. And so being changed from one degree of glory to another, or in most of our cases from a degree of not very glorious to um, a degree of glory higher than that one, anything that accelerates that or advances that is to be embraced. And one of the things I noticed, um, it's like Psalm 23, everyone knows that well or they think they do, but if you meditate on that a little while, you'll see something really surprising. Everyone gets the part about the shepherd takes you to the green pastures and the still waters, and then you go through the valley of the shadow of death, and you have to ask yourself, how does the sheep get there? Because the sheep never decides the route. It's the shepherd that has decided our path lies through the valley of the shadow of death. And then, right in the middle of that thing, it says he prepares a table for me and anoints my head with oil. God wants us to stop while we're in the middle of the valley of the shadow and actually have a party, have a picnic, rejoice in his presence, enjoy him in the midst of this valley of the shadow of death, whatever that shadow is. Not wait till we come out the other end and say, woo, let's have a party, it's all over, woo-hoo. But actually to rejoice with him while we're in the midst of the suffering and in the midst of the um, the difficulty. And Tim pointed something out to me. Um, he's, he's preaching on Revelation 7, I think, this Sunday. Um, it talks about um, the lamb who is on the throne will be your shepherd. So we have a lamb for our shepherd, someone who is one of us, a, a, sh- a shepherd who knows what it's like to be a sheep because he has been incarnate at Christmas. He's come down and taken our nature on him. So we get to be shepherded by somebody who is familiar with what it feels like to be a sheep. And that's priceless, really. Any other God, I mean, there's a poem by, oh, his last name's going to escape me, but at any rate it goes, no wounds, I would not believe in a God who does not have wounds, and no God has wounds but thou alone. And um, to my wounds only God's wounds will speak. I'm actually getting that very messed up. If Tim was here, I'd ask him for the citation. But at any rate, God knows what our experiences are like, and so when we cry out to him, he understands. And the language in the Psalms is desperate language, language we would be afraid to use, I think, if it wasn't already there in Scripture. Um, The end of Psalm 39, the end of Psalm 88, where the psalmist is crying out, turn away, don't look at me so I can have some happiness before I die. It was one of the commentators who said that God puts that language in the psalms because he shows that he understands how people speak when they're desperate. And he understands that that's how we talk. And as long as we're talking like that to him, we can yell, we can rage, we can weep, we can you know, cry out in all kinds of angry language, and I don't understand, as long as we are crying out to God and not saying, done with you, I'm going somewhere else. 
as you're talking, I mean, you're very, very theatrical in the way that you read the songs. And I was almost thinking, you know, you live in New York City, and what if we got together some uh, celebrities, all right, save celebrities that uh, can make these psalms come to life, and we call it like a Broadway show, The Songs of Jesus, because uh, you bring so much emotion to these psalms, we can almost read them kind of deadpan at times, but is that not the craziest idea ever, making this a Broadway show called The Songs of Jesus? I know exactly who I'd ask to take on that project. His name is Max McLean. He's a member of Redeemer, and he's fairly well-known. Uh, he used to be most well-known for his reading of the Gospel of um, Matthew. He would just read it. He would recite it from memory, perform it. We would have him do that every Easter. But he's most well-known right now for his um, portrayal of Screwtape in Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've heard a show. It's been on the road for a while. Well, Max was the fellow who wrote it and performed in it. And he now has... Um, uh, they're doing a production of The Great Divorce by Lewis, and he has one that's opening fairly soon called... Um, the Most Reluctant Convert, I believe, which is, again, about Lewis's conversion, where he will actually play C.S. Lewis. But he's done some wonderful recitations of material where he brings such life and meaning to them. He did that um, C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory, which is a wonderful, wonderful piece. He did that for one of our open forums. And Max is the person I think I could talk to about this, because when he even just read scripture for one of our Sunday services, it, you feel like, well, we can go home now. We don't need the sermon. Max read it in such a way that it's, um, you know, kind of explained itself to to us. A, a, a good reader can do that when they're not being overly dramatic, overly theatrical. So, no, that's not a crazy idea. I want to ask you a question. There was a very poignant time or a point in your marriage where, uh, well, let's just say you were looking for balance, and you took a hammer to some china, and you were trying to get Dr. Keller's attention, and we know how busy you are now at Redeemer Presbyterian Church and giving conferences, but early on in the ministry, uh, Dr. Keller was a bit of a workaholic. Can you please tell the story? We knew that we were going to have a problem when we moved to New York because Tim has always had a problem with being overworking. Um, even when we were in a small church in a town in Virginia, Hopewell, Virginia, with a couple hundred people, he would still work 100 hours a week. And then he was a seminary professor for five years. And when we talked about moving up here, we said, well, you know, this is going to play to both of our greatest weaknesses. And Tim's was, how do you say no when somebody says, could you open the General Assembly of the UN with prayer? You know, well, no, I'm really busy. I've got... 10 other commitments that day, you know, how do you say no whenever they raise the stakes? It's not, you're not just being asked to guest preach over here or do a retreat over there. And that is indeed proved to be a problem because every new opportunity just seemed like, how can we turn this down? God's put this in front of us. And so Tim said, well, for the first three years, getting the church on its feet is going to be really tough. I will probably work too often, but it'll slow down after that. And then we got to year four and year five, and there was no slowing down because things just kept ballooning and blossoming and one thing after another, and how can you not do that? But meanwhile, there were, you know, our children were still young, and I could see the toll it was taking on Tim and on our marriage, and I had drip, drip, dripped about this nag, nag, nag for so long that he was deaf to what I had to say, and that's my fault. So I did go out on the porch, and I took our wedding china and a hammer, and I wasn't, you know, angry, and I wasn't 
uh, hysterical or anything, and in cold blood just started smashing it, and he ran out on the balcony thinking I'd lost my mind or was having a nervous breakdown or something. And I said, well, look, I have to get your attention. You are acting in a way that's damaging to our marriage and our family, and everything I've said you've become deaf to, my fault, my bad, but I didn't know what else to do. And so he was white as a sheet at that point, and we had a very meaningful conversation, and it wasn't until much later that I let him know that the only thing I had actually broken were the saucers that no longer had cups that matched them. I call that a godly tantrum, and I think a wife needs to keep it in reserve. You only get one in a marriage. You can't have one every year. You can't have one every 10 years. But when there's something that's serious enough that it's really threatening the life of your marriage, then a godly tantrum where you're in control and you want the best for the marriage. You're not just expressing anger or revenge or something like that. Now, I just want to ask you a few more questions. Uh, we want to hold you to the half an hour that we promised, but... Um, well, I'm sitting little... in Tim's office in his chair, and he's chomping at the bit to get back to his computers. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, no problem. We'll we'll uh, we'll give him back his desk in just a minute. You know, I was going to ask you if, uh, if Dr. Keller was as nice a guy as he seems, and he's getting mad over there. He's not getting mad. That's he. I can count on probably one hand the number of times I've ever seen him get mad. He is as nice a guy as he seems nicer. I'm really just kidding. I'd like to ask you if there were any rhythms or sounds that in your research that you felt kind of went to the Psalms, since they are called the Songs of Jesus. Have you felt any of that uh, in your research? Uh, I'm sure they would have been very uh, Hebraic sounding. They would have been more chanted than than uh, melodic, and they probably would have sounded a little unusual to our ears. Um, I think if you listen to music that's coming out of the Middle East right now, Semitic music, that might give you a little bit of a a hint, but, um, you know, no one actually knows what the... um, the lyric, well, they know the lyrics because those are the songs, but they don't know any of the music that went with it. So it may have been that it's been put to different music. In fact, you can sing all of the psalms. Um, the Covenanters, who are psalm singing only, that's a denomination, they have turned all the psalms into metrical hymns, which don't often sound a lot like the original psalm, although here and there you get the idea that it was based on a psalm. Uh, there have been some newer attempts by people who are writing um, what we would call praise music and using the psalms as the lyrics, and I haven't heard a lot of that, but what I've heard is encouraging, because I think them if we sing them, singing helps you remember something, it helps you memorize it. I would love to see a songbook based on the Psalms that was really singable. Um, maybe for our culture that wouldn't mean that it sounded a lot like what Jesus would have sung them when he went to worship, and I'm sure he did sing these psalms. That's why these are called the songs of Jesus, because they were how he would have worshipped growing up and going to a temple or synagogue. He would have sung these psalms, so he knew them perfectly. He quotes the psalms more than any other book of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament. But um, I don't know that we need to be held to that. It would be interesting to to be sure if someone could uncover 
a recording of uh, first century music that went along with the Psalms. Yeah, and guess what? We spoke to Keith Getty, uh, you know, Keith and Kristen Getty, and that's what he's working on. No kidding. Keith and Kristen were just here a couple days ago for a concert at Carnegie Hall, and I didn't get a chance to talk to them, but that's interesting to hear. Nice. Yep, they're working on that. Well, you've been such a great guest, Kathy Keller, uh, Doctor Keller, Grace, Mercy. Pl- uh, please, uh, he's six foot four, and we want to give him back his desk. Um. The book is called "The Songs of Jesus." It's a devotional book by Doctor Keller and Kathy Keller. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for asking me. <laughs> 